Well, let's pray as we turn to the scriptures. Gracious Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, you're in an Advent sermon series on what are called the the four last things, death and judgment and heaven and hell. And I praise God for your faithful clergy who (laughs) take on sensitive topics like that and topics that challenge us and sadly are all too often neglected by preachers. And this morning we come to judgment. In our gospel reading, Jesus tells a parable about places of honor at a banquet in order to teach about humility. And then he goes on to speak about more directly about serving the poor. And he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, this morning I want to zero in on one aspect of God's judgment that in coming to understand it was life-changing for me. It's a subject that, in my experience, is rarely addressed, even though Jesus teaches about it again and again. And it's the subject of rewards in heaven. I first came to grasp the Bible's teaching about this when I read a remarkable book by a Romanian pastor named Joseph Tan. It's called Suffering, Martyrdom, and Rewards in Heaven. It's out of his experience of the persecution of the church under the dictator Nicolas Ceausescu in Romania. It is not a light read, but it had a profound impact on me. And I was helped also by two much smaller, popular books, Randy Alcorn's Treasure Principle and Bruce Wilkinson's A Life God Rewards. See, rewards in heaven is a topic that's largely overlooked. Biblically faithful preachers have historically shied away from the notion of heavenly reward because we don't want to go anywhere near the disastrous cliff of works righteousness. Heaven is not a reward for being good, nor is it a reward for being good enough or being better than someone else. You get to heaven by being forgiven through the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He died as our substitute, paying the penalty for our sin. There is nothing that we can do to earn his forgiveness, nothing we can do to pay it back. All we can do is say yes to him, receiving his love and mercy, and then gratefully living our lives in obedience to him. Heaven is for those who receive what Jesus has done for us and surrender to him. And hell is for those who do not accept the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ, full stop. But there are many passages in the New Testament, most of them from the lips of Jesus himself, that speak of rewards in heaven. Not least, Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In other words, 
Acceptance of Jesus Christ determines your destination after death, but your actions determine your rewards. And there are levels of reward in heaven based on what we have done in this life. While our entrance into heaven is God's gift through forgiveness in spite of what we have done, our reward in heaven is given because of what we have done. And it's this that resolves any apparent contradiction between the passages that make clear that we're saved by grace through the cross and those verses which say that each person will receive just payment for what he or she has done in this life. Now, the New Testament uses two primary words or images for reward. One word in the original is misthos, and it means payment or wages as in Luke 6, 23, where Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward, your wages in heaven. The implication is that in heaven, we will get paid by God for the work done on his behalf. The other word in the original is apodidomai, Apo means back and didomai is give, so apodidomai means payback, as we heard in our gospel reading in Luke 14, 14. Because the poor cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In heaven, you, get, you, you are repaid, you're paid back for what you've given out for the Lord. Now, an obvious question is, what exactly do I need to do to get a reward in heaven? What specific actions does God repay in heaven? Well, here are some of the things that we do on earth that God rewards in heaven. Praying. Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Those prayers, faithfully offered, maybe poured out in the middle of the night for someone in need, perhaps even for someone you didn't know. No one saw it but God alone, and he will reward you. Giving your money to the Lord, Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys fasting Matthew 6 beginning at verse 16 when you fast anoint your head wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you serving those in need first Timothy chapter 6 beginning at verse 18 command them to do good to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share in this way they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Loving your enemies. Luke 6, 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. 
working faithfully on the job. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Doing any act of kindness. Mark chapter 9, verse 41. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Well, the list is long. It's so long, in fact, I think the Lord wants us to realize that everything we do in obedience to him and for his glory will be rewarded. Jesus says more about heavenly rewards in Matthew chapter 6, beginning a little later on in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Three simple points from those words. First, Jesus says it as a command. Store up treasure in heaven. It is not selfish or inappropriate to think of your heavenly reward. He expects us to do it. Second, Jesus says, store up treasure for yourselves. You've got to do it. No one can do it for you. And third, Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. That's the only place where your treasure will last. As we often say about wealth and possessions, you can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. (laughs) And you do that by giving, by using what you have for God's purposes. The reward in heaven, of course, isn't cash, but it's just as real. It's the recognition and the favor of the Lord. Treasure in heaven isn't monetary. Our reward isn't money. We don't need money in heaven. It is the priceless blessing and honor and favor of the Lord for all eternity. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 15, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. You sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Paul wasn't speaking about the Philippians getting credit in his eyes, but rather getting credit in the Lord's account for eternity. Now, it is possible to lose or fail to gain in the first place. It is possible to lose your reward for a good thing you've done. Just as Jesus promises us rewards, he also warns us that we can lose our reward. We can lose our reward if we act without Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, Jesus says, if a person commits, excuse me, if a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Works that are rewarded are done out of a relationship with Jesus. That means these are the works that are done after we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. The unsaved are not rewarded because you cannot earn salvation. 
until you've given your life to Christ, nothing that you've done will earn you anything from God. And this is clearly taught in our Anglican Church's 39 Articles of Religion, in Articles 12 and 13 and 14. We can also lose our reward if we act without love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3 says, Paul writes, If I give all I possess to the poor but have not love, I gain nothing. Actions that are rewarded are done not out of selfishness or resentment or grumbling or spite or with a bad attitude, but out of love. I grieve over how many times I lost my reward in heaven for visiting the sick because of my bad attitude over making another trek around the Beltway to Bethesda Naval Hospital. True. We can lose our reward also if we act in order to get credit and recognition in this life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, anonymous giving avoids the problem. But anonymity isn't a requirement. Others can know what we've done. Just don't do it for the recognition. Don't worry about glory here. It's God's recognition that matters. Now, this morning's New Testament reading is another key passage. It's a rather puzzling one. But understanding rewards in heaven, I think, makes it clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, Paul describes living our life as being like building a building. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Our foundation is Jesus Christ and salvation through him. Our life in Christ and the good works that we do are then described as being like a house being built on that foundation of our salvation in Christ. The passage continues. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. The work of each builder will become visible for the day, and that is a reference to the day of judgment. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Okay, very complicated passage. On the day of judgment, everything that you and I have done will be revealed and tested. What we did for ourselves, out of our own agenda, our own selfish motives, what we did for ourselves will be burned up and lost. But what we did out of love for Christ will be rewarded. And like precious stones, it will last for eternity. Sometimes people have asked me about a deathbed confession, a deathbed conversion, if you will. The person who lived a selfish, hedonistic life gave no thought for God, but then came to Christ at the very end of his life 
is such a person saved? Answer, of course. It's never too late in this life to turn to Jesus. But for that person, there was no sacrificial Christian living. And so there would be no rewards in heaven. Those who trust in Jesus are equally given the gift of salvation and eternal life. But all are not equally rewarded. And I think we'll discover that some who in the world's eyes are viewed uh, as the least on earth will be greatest there in heaven. A famous tombstone epitaph of a previous century uh, echoed that truth, writing about a a very poor widow. Here lies so-and-so, who spent a lifetime storing up treasure in heaven and who has now gone thence to enjoy it. (laughs) Exactly. Our entrance into heaven is God's gift through forgiveness in spite of what we have done. Our reward in heaven is earned because of what we have done. You see, the Bible says it's all recorded. Whether or not we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ has been recorded, and everything we have ever thought or said or done has been recorded, and it will all one day be revealed. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11, describes a vision that the Apostle John uh, had of the day of judgment. John writes, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. These are books, plural, and the the books that record everything we've ever done. Then it says, another book was opened, which is the book of life called elsewhere the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the record of those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. This is the book, singular. It's not a record of those who are good people or people who've done loving and kind deeds. It is the book, the list of those who have surrendered to Jesus and have asked for the forgiveness of their sins. The passage continues. The day of judgment. The dead were judged according to what they had what they had done as recorded in the books, again, plural, these are the books that have recorded our actions in this life. The sea gave up the dead that are in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is, if our name is not written in the book of life, if we do not belong to Jesus, then we are lost. But if our name is written in the book of life, we are rewarded according to what has been put down in the other books, the lists of everything we have done. Friends, if we belong to Christ, we can look to the judgment of God, not in fear, but in hopeful expectation. Because our God is good. Our God is just. Our God is trustworthy. That is his nature. I once read a story about a very strange bicycle race in India. 
the object of the race was to go the shortest possible distance within a specified period of time. Now, as you know, when you get on a bicycle, you can't just stand there. The only way the bicycle stays upright because of the gyroscopic thing is by moving forward. But the object of this race was as much as possible to go the shortest distance. And so at the start of the race, everyone queued up on the line and the gun sounded and all the bicycles, as best they could, stayed put. And racers were disqualified only if they tipped over or if just one of their feet touched the ground. They had to stay upright on the bicycle to keep the bike balanced. And when the time was up and the gun sounded, the one who had gone the farthest was the loser, and the one who was closest to the starting line was the winner. Now, imagine getting into that race and not understanding how it worked. The race starts, the gun sounds, and you're off. You're pedaling like a madman. You're carrying on. You're doing as hard as you can, as fast as you can. You're out of breath. You're sweating. But you're delighted because you are so far ahead. You look back and you realize, I'm smoking them. They are way back there. This is fantastic. And so you don't let up. You push harder and faster and longer and stronger. And at last, the gun sounds. And you are delighted because you are, without a doubt, the winner. Except you are, in fact, without a doubt, the loser. <laughs> because you misunderstood how the race is won. Jesus gives us the rules to the eternal race of our lives. The finish line is painted on the other side of our deaths, right in front of the throne of judgment of God himself. There, you will be repaid on the day of judgment. Our culture says that the winning strategy is the pursuit of self, living for our pleasures, our comforts, our status, our recognition in this life. But Jesus turns that completely around. His judgment is to make the first to be last and the last to be first. The winning strategy is not to live for self, but to live for him and to serve him wholeheartedly, to pray and fast faithfully to give sacrificially to those in need, to work for justice, to love and forgive even those who have hurt us the most. It is to live as Jesus invites us, denying ourselves and following him. Jesus promised a hundredfold reward for denying ourselves out of love for him. He said everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Friends, let the promises of the Lord encourage you today. Live your life in light of eternity and the judgment that awaits us all. Continue to trust in Jesus and live a life that the Lord will richly reward. Amen.